You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Journey. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. I really hope that what I share with you today may help you to commit yourselves to the Lord. This program is a true story set mainly in Canada. I've condensed the story from the book Amazing Journey, Amazing Grace by Nancy and Ken Erich. The book is published by InfoAge Consulting and Publishing Incorporated. Nancy was the only child of her mother, who, being the daughter in a wealthy family, wanted to be well thought of by others. One of her favourite sayings was, Appearance is everything. Consequently, Nancy's mother made her decision based on the impressions she made on other people. Nancy's father was wealthy, but was much older than her mother. When Nancy's mother became pregnant, she, extremely embarrassed and afraid to face her socialite friends, attempted to commit suicide by gassing herself in a gas oven. Fortunately, she was discovered early enough to save her life. Because of her mother's socialite ambitions, Nancy was unwanted and unloved by her mother and as a child constantly had to deal with rejection. She was often told that the troubles in the family were all her fault. As a result, she grew up feeling worthless, unloved and responsible for her mother's discontent. She was subject to physical, verbal and psychological abuse continually and all but believed that she would not and could not amount to much. Nancy's father had other children from a previous marriage, and although he loved his daughter, in order to appease his wife, never took the role of a doting father and held back his love for her. I suspect some of you listening to me now have had childhoods of neglect and maybe abuse and know exactly what Nancy went through as a child. But there was even worse, Nancy writes. Although our home, she said, appeared to be Christian, it was not. Spiritism was our true religion. Our home was wide open to supernatural and demonic activity. From the time I was little, there were always strange occurrences going on around our home, seeing things move by themselves, hearing voices, and sensing a presence in the room when there was nobody there. Nancy was subjected to experiencing seances, evil spirits, apparitions, and was led to believe in spirit guides. Although she accepted these things, she felt uncomfortable about them. What she knew about Jesus was minimal, although she was not fearful of him. And here, listeners, I want to pause and warn you not to get involved with seances, fortune readings, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and trying to contact the dead. 
Behind and leading the spirit world is Satan, the prince of deceivers. And should you get hooked by him, your life will be controlled by someone else except you. For your sake, stay away from those manifestations. They will not enlighten you. Instead, they will only debase you. Back to Nancy. When Nancy was about 12 years old, her father had a stroke and the family moved to a quiet neighbourhood in Kalama. During this time, her mother's behaviour became very unstable, erratic and unpredictable. Hate controlled her. She hated her husband, she hated Nancy, and she hated lost opportunities to being popular and perhaps famous. Life for Nancy was like walking on broken glass. She tried to predict her mother's moods and avoided anything that might upset her. Just before she turned 14, her father left. He, who'd been something of a comfort for Nancy, had had enough. Life for him had become intolerable, leaving Nancy alone to deal with her unstable, unloving, ungrateful, unchristian mother. At the age of 16, Nancy too left home, and with very little money ended up in a hippie pad in Vancouver. At about this time, Nancy found out that her father had established a small trust fund for her, so she was then able to rent an apartment. About this time, she met an American man who was quiet and gentle, an unemployed geologist. He was the first man she loved. They married and all went well for a few months, but soon it began to emerge that her husband was sexually disoriented and heavily involved in searching for meaning. Together they studied astral projection, ESP, numerology, spiritism, theosophy and witchcraft. They moved from place to place, and her husband did various jobs including taxi driving. Then Nancy's father died, leaving her some money. A baby girl was born to Nancy, but when only four days old, Nancy had to flee from her home because the doctor who attended the birth intended to blackmail her unless she was willing to have sex with him. Nancy's first marriage ended because her husband decided he wanted to become a woman. Then there was Robert. It is almost unimaginable for me to write all of the terrible things Nancy had to endure as a wife of this new man, a so-called psychic who was involved in many different spiritualistic activities. Robert was suspicious violent and very abusive to the extent that he often punched her, bashed her head against a wall or the floor, raped her and at times even tried to kill her. Besides that, he completely dominated her. He had no job 
and they moved around living in a bus, all the while using up her inheritance. Robert was evil. Despite promises to reform his behaviour, he always resorted to dominance, control and extreme abuse. It was only with cooperation from Robert's parents that Nancy was able to escape. You know, Nancy's situation is an example of abusive relationships. Typically, number one, she the victim is made to feel inferior, useless and incapable of doing anything right or making proper decisions. Therefore, the abuser assumes control. Secondly, she, the victim, is constantly put down. Thirdly, she is made to feel that she is responsible for all the problems. Number four, the abuser assumes the role of problem solver, although he is the problem. Number five, when confronted by his abusive ways, the abuser often makes promises to reform. Those promises are usually empty and the abuse continues. Number six, the victim feels trapped and isolated and unable to reveal to others why she is so bruised and upset. Number seven, the victim, although wanting to escape, feels obligated to stay, particularly when there are children to care for. Number eight, the victim may have hardly any money, inhibiting escape. Number nine, the victim is afraid of worse consequences if, having escaped, the abuser later catches up with her. Number ten, emotionally the victim has a sense of responsibility to keep the family together, although the relationship is very fractured. Eleven, the victim feels that there is nowhere to go, therefore stays and puts up with the abuse. And lastly, the victim often desperately clings to the hope that things will get better. But you know, they rarely do. Drugs, alcohol, having been abused as a child, influence of demonic spirits and dabbling in the occult are all factors responsible for abuse. Sometimes the woman is the abuser, but that is less common than the other way round. In Australia, intimate partner violence causes more illness, disability and deaths than any other risk factor for women aged 25 to 44. In Australia, 72,000 women, 34,000 children and 9,000 men sought homelessness services in the 2016 and 2017 year due to family or domestic violence. In Australia, one woman per week and one man per month 
were killed by a current or former partner, and the figures are taken from 2012 to 2014. If any of you are in an abusive relationship, or if you know someone who is, don't just stand there and do nothing. Do something. There is help. There are many agencies to help both children and adults who are victims of domestic violence. If you have a phone book, look up domestic violence to get the numbers. Online, type into your search engine Victims of Domestic Violence Agencies and that will lead you to websites where you can get help. If you're afraid your partner might find out you've been seeking help, make sure you clear all search history on your computer and delete all recent calls on your phone. If you write down phone numbers, use a code to keep those numbers secret. Nancy's story about her life with Robert is absolutely shocking. Robert appeared to be deranged and under the influence of evil powers. Nancy, Nancy eventually escaped. But in the process, her little daughter was taken from her and she never heard of her again. That was hard. Nancy escaped to West Vancouver, Canada and with the little money left from her inheritance began an apartment cleaning service and we're going to stop here, have a little break and go on straight afterwards. Having escaped from Robert, and although she lost her daughter, Nancy started a uh, an apartment cleaning service. But saddened by the loss of her daughter, and on the other hand free from domestic violence, she plunged herself into her work. A few weeks later, while browsing the newspaper, she saw an advertisement for a Saturday night coffee house. 
So she decided to go relax, enjoy a glass of wine, some music, and have some much-needed social interaction. She says, when I got to the address, I discovered it was an old schoolhouse converted into a community centre. I was disappointed but too tired to turn around and head back. I could hear people talking and laughing, so I took a deep breath, mustered all my courage and went in. This was not a typical coffee house. There was no wine, no stage and no rock band. But the people appeared to be having a good time singing songs about God and doing Jewish-style dances. An older lady approached Nancy and asked, Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Nancy explained how she thought God had saved her life when Robert tried to kill her, but felt betrayed by him as she had lost her daughter. The lady, who was a Pentecostal pastor's wife, listened carefully and then explained why there was so much wickedness in the world and what God had done to save people. The upshot was that Nancy prayed to have her sins forgiven and became a member of that particular religious fellowship. Her troubles did not instantly end at that time, but she did feel a sense of peace. It was through the coffee house that she met a nice man who had previously also been the victim of abuse. His name was Ken. Ken was a sincere Christian and he and Nancy fell in love and became married. Nancy spoke in tongues. But although he was a committed Christian, Ken could not, although he wanted to. That caused him some concern, but his sincerity and devotion to the Lord was firm. For relatively new Christians, Nancy and Ken were both sincere. Their marriage ceremony was part of the normal Sunday services. A few months after their marriage, their pastor... Following a short illness, instead of being warm and friendly, became exacting and scathing. This was very confusing to the new couple and made them question their relationships with the pastor and the church. So began an exploratory church attendance. They visited churches that only focused on faith and positive confession, on healings, on spiritual warfare, and others that focused on prophecy. With attendance at these different churches, Ken began to have a deep desire to become a minister, and they, for a period of about six months, checked out various Pentecostal Bible colleges. I've got to skip a lot of detail here about how they enrolled at a Bible college, and struggled financially, working to support themselves during the day and attending college at night. Nancy wrote, Our overriding hope during Bible college was that we would grow in our relationship with the Lord and especially grow in our understanding of God's Word. 
Yet we struggled tremendously in that area. Often what we read or discerned in our study of the Bible didn't seem to agree with Pentecostal doctrine or their scriptural interpretations. Ken and Nancy were called to serve as assistant pastors in some churches and to begin new church groups in other areas. Later, Ken had an idea to provide church services online for those who were not able to attend church in person. So, he and Nancy, after reaching an agreement to be supported by a Christian Businessman's Association, took a sabbatical six months in an old house on an isolated farm in northern Ontario. The project they took on was to prepare information for an online prayer ministry and lay counselling ministry. Nancy would write programs on emotional and spiritual guidance, while Ken prepared Bible study programs on spiritual enrichment. While they were preparing the programs, they were surprised and somewhat confused to find many inconsistencies between what their church taught and what the Bible said. Two issues in particular that caused much anxiety were the doctrines of an ever-burning hell, particularly as it assumes the immortality of the soul, and the doctrine of the secret rapture. Nancy and Ken had to face whether the fathers of their church were right or whether they were understanding the Bible correctly. Truth was at stake. At the end of the six months preparation time, when they took their material to the Christian Businessmen's Association, they were told that the association had since decided not to back them. The programs would not go online and the whole venture was a waste of time. Six months of sacrifice for nothing. They were very deeply hurt. However, hardworking and diligent as they were, Nancy and Ken immersed themselves in another non-church-related project that was successful in another city. But they never gave up their search for a truly Bible-believing church. God was preparing these two people for something else. Their great disappointment was not to be in vain. On a shortcut, back to where they lived after shopping for groceries one day, they noticed a sign outside a church. The sign read, Millennium of Prophecy, Net 99. The Times were advertised, and being interested in prophecy, they decided to attend. To their surprise, on the first visit, they found the program was a satellite telecast program. The speaker was an internationally known Seventh-day Adventist pastor, Doug Batchelor. 
They were pleased that instead of dancing and clapping as in some of the Pentecostal churches, Pastor Doug preached the Bible, backing up all his statements with Scripture. At home, after each of the meetings, Nancy and Ken studied into the night, checking their Bibles to see whether or not what they heard was true. They were thrilled that the Seventh-day Adventist Church based its beliefs on the Bible and the Bible alone, and that those beliefs were not based on a single Bible verse, but on all the verses relating to that subject. They were very pleased that the church did not use a single carefully selected passage to support a ready-made doctrine, but instead formed their doctrines from what the Bible said. It was sad to say goodbye to friends from their old church, but they were very happy to associate with people who made the Bible their priority in determining truth. Ken and Nancy has since actively served the Lord in ministry in the Adventist Church for some years. They have never regretted their decision to know the truth. The truth has set them free. Well, that's the end of their story. But you, like them, could be someone who is involved in a search for truth and are looking for a church home. If you're on such a journey to find truth, why don't you ask for a free copy of the booklet, Your Friends the Adventists? Just contact the station or our producer, Nick, and we will be happy to provide you with one. Ken and Nancy felt that they had come home. Others have felt very much the same, and you will feel like that too. So then, until next time, this is Len signing off and wishing you peace, happiness, and a joyous, truth-filled life. Thank mm-hmm. you.